Say a prayer with me, please. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And as we listen for a word from you, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Everywhere you read a commentary about this psalm, it says it's its own sermon, suggesting you could just read it, and it would say what it's supposed to say. It's a sermon written by the psalmist about the chesed, the chesed, the steadfast love of God, written in a, in a form to be used in a congregation like ours, people celebrating God's presence even though they're heartbroken. People celebrating what God can do, is doing, does do, even when they feel crestfallen. The people of Israel who are hearing this psalm, the person in Israel who wrote this psalm, isn't writing the psalm because everything is hunky-dory and special. The person writing the psalm is saying, even though we are a people who have been oppressed, even though we are a people who have been captive, even though we are a people who have been snatched from our own land and sent to be strangers in a strange one, God is the source of our joy. God is the source of our redemption. The psalmist is saying that some of the people wandered in desert lands, hearkening back to the story of Exodus. Some of the people got tossed about in the sea thinking about Jesus quieting the storm, thinking about God quieting storms. Some of the people got led by a crooked way, thinking about people worshiping idols and getting caught up in sorcery. Some of the people were hungry and thirsty, literally, for the thing to quench their thirst and make their hungry bellies stop growling. Some of the people were imprisoned, sitting in darkness and in gloom. Some of the people were bowed down by oppression and the weight of unemployment. Some of the people were watching their nation have an epidemic of gun violence. Some of the people were sitting in a context where racism and white supremacy was leading to death and destruction. Some of the people felt helpless and powerless. Some of the people felt confused and lost. And still, the psalmist prays, God is God. Yesterday, today, and always. It is really difficult sometimes to keep our eyes on God's steadfast love. Isn't it, middle family? I mean, we feel almost guilty and ashamed to admit that we're afraid and doubtful. We wonder where God is when bad things happen. We wonder if God is paying attention. We wonder if God has the power. If we're honest, we wonder how to make sense of it. Somebody with me? Surely the people that were running for their lives, surely the people whose lives were cut short, their families, are asking questions about the presence of a holy, loving other in the midst of times of violence. And I'm here to tell you today that our testimony about where God is still, still, still is in our hearts and on our lips. What I mean by that is think about 
the time when you felt for sure things were not going to turn out okay. Just go there in one of your minds. And I'll tell you mine. I'll tell you about being married to somebody who I thought was amazing and wonderful, but he turned out to be a violent arsehole. I'll tell you that I was in love with him and the anger that I felt in him always felt to me that it was protective of me and directed toward others. I'll tell you that I was one of those women who didn't understand how women can be in violent relationships and just not get out. I'll tell you that his anger comforted me because it made me feel like he was strong and that it comforted me until he threw me against a wall. And I'll tell you that when he threw me against the wall, I knew I had to get out, but I didn't know how I was going to get out. But then I moved back to grad school to get out, and I took all my stuff with me, and he said, it looks like you're not coming back. And I went, oh, really? What makes you think that? Because I was afraid for my life. And I'll tell you then that I went to grad school, and I'll tell you, that I stayed in grad school and I got one of those divorces that I tried to make an annulment, but I got a divorce. And if I had not met the crazy man at Drew, and if I had not moved to Washington, D.C., if I had not been in Washington, D.C. in a dangerous liaison with a mean person, I would not have gone to work at the Alban Institute. And if I had not gone to work at the Alban Institute, I wouldn't know John. And if I didn't know John, I wouldn't be married to him. And if I didn't marry John, Joel and Gabby wouldn't know each other. And if I didn't marry John and Gabby and Joel didn't know each other, we wouldn't have fee. I cried out to the Lord in my anguish when I was married to the violent man. And the answer, the sideways, the crooked, not straight answer to the cry out was deliverance to middle church. Are you with me? I'm, I'm not, no, let me be really clear. I'm not saying that God put the violent man in my life on purpose. I'm not saying that I got thrown up against the wall because that was God's will. Everybody checking that. I'm not saying that. I am saying that the steadfast love of God was able to surpass that violent circumstance. And the steadfast love of God was able to guide me, push me, pray me, shape me into a world that turned out to be the best life ever. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying if I hadn't, I, I, I applied to get into Princeton Seminary to do a PhD in psych and religion. I did not get in. I was so stupid, I was supposed to apply to the homiletics program and get in. But I applied to the psych and religion program and didn't get in. But because I didn't get into the psych and religion program at Princeton, I got into the psych and religion program at Drew. And because I got into the psych and religion program at Drew, I came to study Middle Church. Because if I was in Princeton, I wouldn't have known about this place. But I came to study Middle Church. And because I came to study Middle Church, I got to be your pastor. And I get to be here every day. I'm talking about the steadfast love of God that heard my cry. 
The writer of the psalm has the word cry almost as much as the word hesed. Everything that activates the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of Mary, Leah, and Rachel is the cry of humankind to be delivered from our circumstances. That's the kind of stuff that activates the good enough love, the gentle love, the steadfast love, the always around you love of God. God hears our cry and opens the seas. God hears our cry and makes a way out of no way. God hears our cry, hears the cry of humankind and shows us a way to nonviolence and peace, delivers us to a circumstance that we can't even imagine. That's what I'm talking about. Chad had to come to the city to do some business the other day. Some house business, some rental business. Just happened to come by the office to say hello to me. Happened to hear me lamenting, crying, sad about this transition with Bertram. Happened to be in the room at the right time when I say, Chad, can you do this? And then Chad's like, uh, I think so. And then God delivers to us someone who can help us just in this time. And it helps Chad in this time. That's what I'm talking about. I'm trying to say God is. Always. Mending the broken. Always. Taking what's funky and hard. Always. Always. Crafting something else something more, something different, even in the worst of things, God is not causing them, but able to lift us up in them and help us to see something, some result that's better than we could ever have imagined. Do you hear me? The loss of a relationship and the door opens up to another one. The absolute way we cannot bear another shooting. Can you bear another shooting? Are we not finally at the, at the place where we're like enough? Amen? Amen? Don't let anybody talk about God's will involving shootings. That's not true. But God hears the cries of the wounded and hears the cries of the mourning and God hears our cries and is able to make a way for us to use that grief toward the healing of the world. If we'll do it. I'm not trying to rush you past your tears. I'm really not. And I don't have any simple answers for the absolute power of violence in the world to knock us off our, off our seats and decenter us. I am saying the very same God who heard the cries of her people in Israel and parted the seas and snatched them out of the jaws of Pharaoh's slavery, the same God who's able to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the lion's den, the same God who's able to raise up broken, sorrowful people and heal them is the same God at work today, able to use our bodies and our lives, to use us in our sadness, in our horror, 
in our dismay to use us to make this stop. I need that God today. I don't need platitudes. I don't need, I need practical God. I need practical God who knows how to show up in bad places and make something better. Amen? I was thinking this morning, the psalmist's testimony that God is activated by our cries, that God is good enough, loving enough, present enough to show up when we cry, I wondered, is God crying? And I wondered if we who are the living body of God are supposed to answer God's cries now. I just wondered if the script is flipped. I just wondered if God is crying and God needs us. That's not good theology for some people, but it's working for me today. <laughs> like, can God do everything? Okay, yeah, but maybe God also is vulnerable and sad and brokenhearted and needs us to show up. How does that feel? If it's true, if it's true that we're partners with a holy other, if it's true that that one that we partner with is also capable of grief, surely she is crying today. And if it's true, then we might be able to offer a word of comfort to our God by doing some things. One thing we can do is to use our cellular phones, which are sometimes feeling like the devil these days, but there is a bill in the Senate stuck there. It's S-42, and it is a bill that is being stuck in Senate, but it would provide for um, universal background checks, even for unlicensed gun dealers. So I want to invite you to take out your phones, It's really okay. You don't have to, but you can. Take out your phone. And you can text checks, C-H-E-C-K-S, checks, as in background checks. Text checks to this number. Write it down on your bulletin. If you're not going to do it right now, 644-33. 644-33. Text checks to that and you'll be automatically connected to your senator. And you can say, we need some background checks, honey. Or you can be like more formal. But you can say, let's pass this bill. Let's get this bill out of Congress. Will you do that? Um, because Amanda is Amanda, she tells us that Mitch McConnell's zip code is 40207. <laughs> so you could just run right past 10003 if you want to, and go to 40207 and deliver the message directly to Mitch McConnell. How about that? Speaking of Mitch McConnell, the collegiate churches are working on a letter that will be up in our uh, social media in the next couple of days. We are asking Mitch to take this bill to the floor. And today, when you come up to take communion, you are able to sign your name on this beautiful version of the letter. And we'll send that with Amanda to his house next weekend when she's in Kentucky. I, I say to his house, where she's been and knows how to get there. And she promises to not 
throw eggs at it, but she will deliver this. And finally, today, as we listen to the cry of God, the heartbroken cry of God, we will give 10% of all of our offering that we raise today to every town. And every town is the, yeah, that's the uh, organization that Lucia uh, McBath helped start after her son, Jordan Davis, was killed. Um, my mom dated my dad in Omaha, Nebraska. They were dancing on an Air Force base to I Found My Thrill on Blueberry Hill. They had a big, strong attraction. They did the thing. <laughs> they got pregnant. If they hadn't done the thing, and they hadn't gotten pregnant, stay with me, sorry, Daddy, they wouldn't have gotten married. <laughs> yes, I'm a preconceived notion. <laughs> if they hadn't gotten married and had me a month after the wedding, yes, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have five siblings. I wouldn't get to be in this community with you if my mom and dad hadn't done the nasty. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. God wasn't a, sitting around making puppets of Emma and Richard saying, go now, thou, and do the thing. No. Like, God wasn't also making me not get accepted to Princeton. No, like God wasn't also making me marry Violet Man. No, right? Like, no, God didn't put those people in the nightclub and didn't put the people in the Walmart. Like, God didn't do that. That's just evil stuff. But what God can do and God will do, and we know it's true, is that God will use all the junk. Let all the junk move us, shove us, touch us, fix us, Put us someplace where we can do the things that God needs us to do. That's God too. That's what God is like. So, I mean, I want to just scream. I, I want to scream or I want to tell you everything's going to be okay. No, I'm not positive that every single thing is going to be okay. But I am positive that God is God yesterday, today, and always. And I am positive that God is going to raise up an army of lovers, of revolutionary lovers, who will, in fact, help heal the world. I believe that. And I believe you and I are that army. And I believe that all the things that happen in our lives are happening to prick us all into this movement. The families of those who are lost, the, the survivors of Sandy Hook, the, 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 the Republicans and the Democrats who will ultimately disown violence as a way of life. They will. The, the truth will set them free. All of us know what time it is and we are being awakened. Somebody say, we're being awakened. We're just being awakened. We're being awakened. So God bless all of those families. God bless all of the lost. Yes, thoughts and prayers and also rise up. Yes. yes, thoughts and prayers and also we've got to do something. I am so sick of it. I'm enlisting you. Let's do the things, okay? Amen. <laughs>